You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, the running public. This is the Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Bracken. You're walking around, sitting around right now with your chest kind of puffed out. (laughs) (laughs) I've got that BDE going on right now, Kirk. I'm feeling myself. Why are you feeling yourself, brother? Because I completed my first race. Woo! It's official. I'm back healthy. That's great. I watched some of the footage that was posted to your running partner, John Penland's Instagram. It looked like an awesome race. I want to hear more about it. Uh, it was a um, just 3.9 mile race, partner race. You both run the entire time. There were small little obstacles on course. It was mostly a trail race. But the caveat was that each team had to carry a 40 pound sandbag the entire time. Mm-hmm. And it was up to you how you wanted to divide that up. There were some teams that each held half of it going up every hill. Uh, the rest of us just ran with it, treated it like a fart lick session. You'd run as hard as you could sustain. And as soon as it started to show some warning signs, you quick pass it off your partner and then he'd red line and you just passed back and forth for four miles. That's a nice built-in dog loop style workout, huh? It really was. But the hills were significant enough because it was two two loops of a 1.95 mile course. So you hit everything twice. The uphills were tough and the downhills were very demanding. Well, when I watched some of the footage, uh, JW, which is John Penland's father, who always does a good job of cheering and videoing, um, I was watching you and John run down, and I believe John had the bag. And you guys were coming down a hill and you were flying, right? Yeah. Like I felt like you were running six-minute pace, but I, I couldn't quite gauge. I was like, am I looking? Does it look fast because he's got a bag on him? So then I rewound it. And I just looked at you running and I ignored John with the bag. And I was like, Bracken's probably running six minute or 630 pace at worst. Down the hill? No, like after you hit the flat. Oh, yeah. On the flats, yeah. we were running. Like six minute pace, 30 pace. So anyway, so I ignored the guy with the bag and just looked at your stride. And I was like, they're moving. Yeah. You guys were flying. I was clearly the weak link in our partner chain. John Penland right now is in big shape. Okay. <laughs> he hit 90 two weeks ago at altitude. Hit 90 m- miles. 90 miles. Okay. Yeah. With a lot of vert in the mountains. And he got back home for his birthday. He came home. He turned 21 last week. So he came home to visit his parents about a couple, couple hours from me. So that's why I thought I'll just take a, a swing here to see if he is available because you weren't able to come down with the surgery for this race. Yep. And he said, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. I am time trialing though this week. So that's fine. I, you're in better shape than me. You can, you can come in tired. So on Tuesday, he ran a 5k time trial and he solo on the roads. He ran 1548. Yeah. And that excited him. So Thursday he ran a mile, he ran 432 solo. <laughs> and then on Saturday <laughs> he ran this race with me. <laughs> that's a big week. <laughs> I didn't do a single quality workout all week because I knew it was going to be demanding of me. Man, John Penland, I don't know if John listens to this or not, but he's kind of been in the shadows for over well over a year. He's not much of a social media guy. He's kind of put his head down and do the work. And John's always fallen in the VJ Jones shadow. Yeah. John Penland has probably the most young potential uh, other than VJ. And it's really good to hear him. Like this is, this is well beyond where John Penland's ever been. So it'd be fun to see if he races it. And you know what the crazy thing is? He's done it all off volume. He's done no speed work. Mm. He said he was blown away by the mile because he's just been doing mountain volume. Yeah, running uphill is speed work in disguise, though, Bracken. It is, but he's not doing speed work uphill. I know. <laughs> so this is John Penlin on base strength. Fantastic. So tell me about uh, like how your fitness felt in the race, and what would you do differently? I felt old and fat. Like that's my my not my P, my non PC version. I felt rough from the start. 
we started up the hill and John wanted to start with it. And so John is, um, is going into the military. So he was doing the ROTC thing and he's doing some sort of training right now. He just finished the baton death march uh, virtual. So he did a marathon with a rec- 35 pound rec bag. So he's been doing a lot of heavy carries with mm-hmm. his running volume. So he's ready for this. So he wanted to start out. There was one other team there, Jordan Buscemi and J- uh, Jason West or the defending champs. And John wanted to put all of us into the, the hurt locker early. And then he figured he'd fade less than anyone else. So we took off up the hill, which was about, I don't know, 250, 300 meters up a hill that got progressively steeper. And as we were running up it, I was thinking, this is the pace I would start up this for a cross country race. <laughs> and John was running with 40 pounds on his back. Wow. So right, right off the bat, we switched right at the top. I did probably the last 20 meters of the hill and then bombed down. And by the time I got to the bottom, all freshness was out of your body. And then it just, it was a grind all the way in. With 600 meters to go, I took my third to last push. We were probably going 100, 200 meters at a time of carrying by the end of the race. So you were switching that quick. That's what I was wondering. Pretty quick. And, And I was switching quicker than John. First lap, it was probably like 45, 55, our split in the carries, maybe 60, 40. And second lap was probably 70, 30 him. Okay. Wow. I was, I was, I was revving it the best I could. And then I'd hand back. And as soon as you know, like you're starting to slow, you can just feel you're going to breach your red line or you're just starting to slow. You just ditch that bag to your partner right away, right? Yeah, because otherwise you're doing a disservice. Being tougher isn't helping the, the team speed at all. And what was your pass off strategy, the bag back and forth? So we'd uh, at first we'd just uh, jerk it up over our head and then front load it. And one person would slide a shoulder under and take it. And then towards the end, we were kind of slinging off one shoulder onto the other person. We did them all while running. We didn't pause once. So we had good, good handoffs. But with eight, six or 800 meters to go, I took my third to last push. And I was trying to really bring it home for us. And I started getting the peripheral dizziness going. Tunnel vision? Uh, no, like actual head dizziness. Like if I if I were to not let off, I could run myself into a blackout. I haven't been in that place in a long time. And it was because of having a partner there Mm -hmm. and the ability to just hit red line intervals rather than having a steady state hold. It was, it was brutal. And you got a bag bouncing on your back, jostling your head around, which probably throws you off too. So would you compare, like if you had to go race this all out four miles, no bag, but you had to race this course all out or you had to do it in this fartlet carry style, which would have been harder as an overall effort? It would have been different. This was hard. This was harder because with a steady state effort, you run into your ceiling and then you have no choice but to slow. But with this one, you could hurt yourself over and over because you got a little break in between. So I probably hit more overall pain with this because of the slight rest. Okay. That's what I would figure. The pain, the sting was sharper at times. The last carry, I took it and handed it back probably like 18 seconds later because I was, I was afraid I wouldn't reach the finish line. Smoked. I, afterwards, I had indoor track in my in my my throat and my lungs. I was coughing. I got really heavy hiccups afterwards. It was like diaphragm was smoked, lungs were smoked, esophagus was on fire. It was a real. It was the hardest effort I've had in probably years. I hate when my esophagus is on fire, Bracken. <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> had esophageal fires, tough. Yes. Uh, well, if anything, that effort's certainly going to make you better. Yeah. I mean, so that's that. Congratulations on your win and repping our gear on the podium. How much did you beat those guys by? Because early I saw that they were somewhat in the background, but I don't know how early that video was taken. So how much did you win by? I think it was about two and a half minutes by the end. Oh, wow. You you hammer smokes, smoke fest. You crushed. Well, because it got out hot, they paid for that. And then John and I really second half loaded our effort. We, we, we didn't let off. Not even close. No. No, so it was exactly what I needed. It was fantastic. And like every time you race, you come out knowing, all right, I can do this again. But also it highlights some real glaring issues that you got to work on in your next block of training. And what is that? Well, for me, it's all about staying power. (laughs) (laughs) My stay power was uh, toddler-like compared to John. Which will bring us into today's topic as well. At the end, it felt like he was... When I would hand off to him and then start running, I'd have to accelerate to stay up with him. Or he was running with the sandbag at the pace my body wanted to run on the jog. Yeah. Without the sandbag. So Uh 
it was it was clear during it that if this was an all-out race, I would take second. I would not win, and it would not be close. I'd like to see that heart rate data, like the graph from that would be very interesting. You know what? I broke my strap on my Garmin the day before. Mm. You mean on your on your Wahoo? No, on my Garmin, on my watch. I broke the strap, so I put it down somewhere, and then the kids moved it, and I couldn't find it in the morning. And so I didn't even, I didn't have a watch, which was the most disconcerting thing on race morning, trying to time your warm up and get everything done without knowing what time it was. Without a watch, I'm sure. I, I asked Sean probably like 40 times. Hey, what, time <laughs> is it? what time is it? That's funny. Yeah. And you, you had surgery. Yep. Look at it. Isn't it beautiful? You're all wrapped up like a boxer. You see my finger still has some of the orange iodine left iodine. on it. From surgery. Yeah. Cause I'm not allowed to get this hand wet. So I got this like orange spray tan hand and it's like two days later, but yes, I went under the knife. It was a little bigger of a deal. Like they make a big deal out of it. Cause you know, I've had staph infections. I've had MRSA before. So anytime you go into the of knife, you have, right. I've had it all. So I had to have like intravenous antibiotics through me during surgery because they got to be careful of that. And so they do that and they wheel you in with the ground through the fricking surgery center and, they put you under like a tent so you can't see what's going on, mm. um, which was interesting. Uh, and the, the worst part about it was two things. The shot to numb your hand. Like, I don't know if you've ever had a shot in the palm of your hand, but it's like kind of a sensitive area. And they really got to get in there a few times. So that wasn't like, that was probably the worst part. And then they put this tourniquet around my forearm. And it's like, I describe it like, like you go and you get your blood pressure taken. And then when it reaches its peak puffiness and it's like, okay, I'm ready for this thing to like let go now. Well, that just doesn't let go for the whole surgery. So they put that on your forearm and that's ended up being what was like the worst part. But um, they dug in there and this lump on the palm of my hand and it sounded like it was excess fibrous tissue that was growing along like my tendons on like my third or my second metacarpal. And so they had to scrape my tendon free of like all of the excess tissue. So it wasn't like snip, snip, remove. No, it was like they were yanking on my hand. I could feel pulling and scraping, but I couldn't feel it. I could just feel like the dull sensation. So that was kind of bizarre. Um, I could feel like, you know, the blood running down the side of my hand where it wasn't numb, but I couldn't see it. And then uh, they stitched me up and sent me on my way. So I'm like two weeks. I'm just going to take off a lifting, maybe do some lower body work, but I'm just going to take this opportunity to take what I'll call a deload from strength and let this baby heal up. Everything takes about twice as long when you have a hand that you can't use, like putting your shirt on for example, it's more annoying than you think. But other than that, I can still run. It's all good. And you did. Two days later, you ran 23, I saw on Strava. The next morning, I did. I oh, asked one day guy, later. I said, hey, I got a long run plan tomorrow. Can I go hit that? And he said, no, I want you to wait until Sunday. And I said, no, I really want to go tomorrow, Doc. Really want to go tomorrow. And he said, nah, fine, go ahead and do it. So I did. So what was the bouncing like? It was fine. I took some ibuprofen. It kind of seized it up the pain for a little while, and it's all good. Twenty-three miles day after surgery. Yeah, no big deal. A little low on the blood, the, the red blood cell count. I think a little blood loss, but nothing, no big deal. It's like running at altitude. It's like it's like yeah, it was a it was a purposeful training bout. But yeah, that's me. But I'm doing okay. A few messages. Thank you for that. It's not that big of a deal. It's like a two inch incision. Like it'll be fine. If you got stabbed with a two-inch incision, that'd be a big deal. And you <laughs> essentially got tactically stabbed. Very, very tactically stabbed, yes. Yeah. Um, that's about it. Should we um, – our ramble sessions get longer and longer. We've got a lot of stuff going on in our life. Lisa yeah, we, goes in for surgery in oh three goodness. hours from now. Yeah, so we're kind of on a time crunch. And what's she haven't done? Umbilical hernia fixed. That's got to be a big one, huh? Uh, yes and no. I mean, she's got seven weeks of no, no lifting and – Hopefully less than that for running. Otherwise, the monster is going to come out. Well, I saw her post on Instagram saying like her story that she'd run like nine days in a row and a bunch of mileage more than she ever would, but her shins are starting to hurt. (laughs) Yeah, she hit 53 miles. She usually averages 30. So it's a good thing that she's going to have to take some rest. Otherwise, she'd run herself into a stress fracture. Yeah. Yeah. And she did this intentionally. She wanted to come in smoked, but yeah, she was, she's about to get hurt. (laughs) I get it, Lisa. Good luck with your surgery. The topic of the day, Bracken. Threshold. Threshold. The blanket term threshold. And tempo. Tempo, yeah, it's all in there. We, we've had so many questions about it, and recently it's been coming back out. And like I told you off off mic, 
I had several conversations with athletes last week where they just said, just, I want more clarity on, on threshold and tempo and aerobic threshold, anaerobic threshold. What does that mean? Lactate threshold. What's the difference between anaerobic threshold and lactate threshold? Why, why if we do, if that's what you can do for 60 minutes, all out effort, allegedly, why would people do a 45 or 50 or 60 minute or a 10 mile tempo? How can you even possibly do that? Is that the 120% rule? But if it is, can you really be 20% better than what you could be all out in a race? So there's a lot of questions. And I think it's time to just address the confusing murky topic, which is threshold and tempo. It's one of those topics where we could, I, we could do this in three minutes and give yes. people just like the quick cliff notes version, or we could draw this out. I feel like it's one of those like tempo and threshold is just thrown around and we're two parts guilty. We throw it around all the time casually. Like, Oh, I went out for a tempo run, which I did last week. I went for a 10 mile tempo. What does that mean? Right. Right. Uh, what is a, th what's the difference between a tempo and a threshold run? What are the instances in which you should do both? Why? What physiological benefit potentially all those things? Yes. It's cloudy, but it's not. How do you want to start this conversation? I want to start with the three minute cut and dry explanation and then go off and go off into the woods and talk about all the other pieces. Okay. So right off the bat, let's just get some definitions. Tempo is not a scientific term threshold is there's no physiological markers when we're talking tempo no it could be more perceived exertion effort pacing but there, we're not watching physiological markers. yes so let, let's equate these to vo2 max and intervals vo2 max is a testable phenomenon inside your body max maximum oxygen uptake the rates of that happening you test that on a treadmill with a mask on and they're measuring everything that's going on inside your body. And they can say, at this point, you've hit your maximum oxygen uptake. That is your VO2 max heart rate, pace, effort, all of that. Now go do intervals. Intervals have no scientific meaning to them. An interval is a bout of work with a rest in between. So you could do intervals at VO2 max pace or at VO2 max heart rate or at 10K pace, or 5K pace, or mile pace, or 100 meter dash pace, or you could do it, you could do aerobic intervals. There is no science that says how you have to do an interval. It's totally based on what the purpose of the workout is. So mm -hmm. VO2 max can be done as intervals, but intervals does not mean VO2 max. Does that make sense? Are you making a parallel between tempo and threshold now? Correct. Okay, lead us in there, Brack, and lead us right in there. So now threshold, we're going to say lactate threshold. Lactate threshold is that point at which you are losing the battle against lactate accumulation in your blood. Meaning what? Lactate is a byproduct of exercise and energy expenditure. It's just something that is a byproduct of the processes, 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 the process that are happening inside of your body. And it's not even bad. Lactate is a fuel that you can, you can utilize. Y you could look at the very scientific piece and say that the hydrogen ions that are produced during this chemical process in your body, those are the true things that bog you down and make you feel bad. It's not lactic acid. It's not lactate. It's, it's just the hydrogen ions. They, they're anchors in your, in your bloodstream that are going to force you down and slow you down. But lactate is a fuel. You can burn it, but it's not the most efficient fuel. And so there's a rate at which you can clear lactate out of your blood. And once you can no longer clear it at or faster than the rate which you produce it, you have crossed over your lactate threshold. That makes perfect sense to me. So... Let's take a really bad analogy, okay? This is not the way cars work. But let's Ooh. say that the exhaust fumes of your car, you didn't have a muffler. Instead, they just came into your car and they floated around. And that's bad for you. <laughs> I know where you go with this. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, and you roll your window down a crack. That's all you can get it down there. So as you're driving, the wind's sucking those fumes out of your car. But the more you rev your engine, the more fumes go inside the faster it fills up and the fumes can't get out of the car anymore at the same rate that they're filling up. So if you have this poisonous fume in there, as long as it's clearing out, you're okay and you can keep sitting in that car. But as soon as it overwhelms coming in and can't get out as fast as it's filling up, then you start getting poisoned and eventually you die. Which would be, let's say, tying up and 
And the button's been pushed feeling correct in a race. So that's lactate threshold, the point at which you can no longer clear lactate out of your blood and utilize it for fuel at the same rate that it's produced. Now, lactate gets produced in much exercise. It's always getting produced when you do anything that's like you jog up the stairs, you produce a little lactate, mm -hmm. but that's fine. Eventually you get to the point you can't clear that anymore and you start to be poisoned and you athletically die. You're on borrowed time. You use such a morbid example with this exhaust yeah. death. I was just going to say like drill a small hole in a bucket and fill it up with water and the quicker you fill that bucket up, the <laughs> eventually it overflows and that can't keep up with the drainage. But you, I like you that. went right to just straight up like carbon monoxide poisoning. I did because that's <laughs> what it feels like at the end of a race. <laughs> or whenever it comes out, whatever. Yes. Now, science is still a little fuzzy on how long that process can go on for. When you get right to your, I'm keeping it the same rate, I'm clearing it. That's generally thought people say 40 to 60 minutes all out gun to your head. You can keep that effort for mm -hmm. people like to say an hour because it's, it's clean and easy. But what are the odds that your bodily process is 60 minutes on the dot? Yeah. What if we used 100 second minutes? Would it still be an hour? No. So we just choose the numbers that we'd like. So 40 to 60 minutes all out effort is right around the area that your lactate threshold can be sustained for. Until what happens? until you fall apart. You can hold it for 40 to 60 minutes, but by the end of that 60, you are crumbling and your pace plummets and you have to slow down. So you could keep that effort for 40 to 60 minutes before you have to, not even choice-wise, your body just can't sustain it any longer. Okay. And how, when we talk this, just so we might as well dive into it, are we basing this off of what? Are we basing it off of perceived exertion? Are we basing it off of pace? Are we basing it off of heart rate maybe? How are we knowing? In a lab, they're doing blood monitoring. They do blood Correct. draws every minute. And the system of monitoring the lactate levels in your blood are called millimoles, MMOL. The science centers around four millimoles. When you hit the number four, again, that's like saying 98.6 degrees is your body temperature. It's not for everyone, but it's in the ballpark. Mm -hmm. Any lactate accumulation in your blood under four millimoles is theoretically under your threshold. So if you're monitoring your blood, as soon as you hit four, you're right around lactate threshold. And when you go over, it's spiked. And that correlation is your heart rate when you hit four millimoles is your lactate threshold heart rate. Right. But there are many different ways of measuring this, which I don't even know if we're going to get into today. We're just going to talk about what threshold is. Maybe we do get into that in the second half. So now we've established what your lactate threshold is. And people will say, well, how's that different from anaerobic threshold? And we'd say, honestly, just call them the same thing. They're two different terms with like only two or three different words different in the definition. And it's kind of like we should just squeeze them both together. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. Lactate threshold for our purposes is the same as anaerobic threshold. So just like VO2 max is a scientifically testable pace, heart rate, and exertion level, and you can do intervals. We have our anaerobic or lactate threshold, and you can do tempo runs. Tempos are the equivalent to interval. It's just a prescribed duration at a prescribed effort. A tempo run can be two hours because you're mm -hmm. doing it a two hours at a prescribed tempo. Tempo really just means pace. Mm -hmm. Or some sort of exertion. Some sort of exertion. So you can do a lactate threshold tempo run. You could do, you know, a, a 20 to 30 minute run at your lactate threshold heart rate, or you can do a 10 mile tempo, which is going to take most people longer than 60 minutes. And so it can't possibly be. So it might be at 95% of lactate threshold or 90% or 88% of lactate threshold. So tempo is a catch-all term, just like interval is a catch-all term. It doesn't mm -hmm. describe what's happening other than there is a prescribed duration and intensity. So they couldn't be very different. They certainly can, they, but they also could be two in the same. For example, marathoners will sometimes do an 18 mile tempo run. Mm -hmm. Is that humanly possible to do that at threshold? No, but tempo doesn't mean threshold. And that's the key here. Tempo is interval. It is a style of workout. It is not a biological process. Right. So that's the glaringly obvious difference. Tempo, no physiological markers necessarily. Threshold would basically be solely based on physiological markers, yes. which is the big difference. Now, if we're going to talk about threshold a little more in depth, um, 
And, and I feel like you're a little bit more of an expert on these calculations than I am. Like I tempo, I rarely threshold, right? I <laughs> tempo, for example. And I know you are much bigger into threshold intervals and types of things like that. Um, so I know you just have more firsthand experience than I do in the threshold world. Although I do believe I run in threshold all the time, I may not perfectly be trying to execute that. That just happens to be the byproduct of my workout. Although neither am I. I'm very imprecise with threshold work. Okay. I am not scripting my threshold work by heart rate the majority of the time. Okay. Well, that's the topic specifically I just wanted to dive into. So, you know, we're not going to be getting our blood pricked mid-workout to see where our, our lack uh, you know, lactate's accumulating. So then we kind of go and do our best as the everyday athlete to equate that to a heart rate, right? Mm -hmm. So how do we know what that heart rate is? How do we base that heart rate? How do we calculate that heart rate? Um, I know like, for example, my Garmin likes to guess, mm -hmm. right? Right now my lactate threshold is 173 beats a minute and 551 pace or something. It has told me this, for example. How accurate is that? And how do you make your own calculation? The accuracy is only as accurate as the test, right? And so test number one, greatest test is to go in a lab and get it done. You have to have blood drawn. However, the more, the less sterile your race environment is, the less that matters. So for an Ironman triathlete or for a marathoner, a track 10K runner, it would be very important to know precise because you run in a vacuum in your race for a trail runner, for someone who is not trying to qualify for the Olympics, for an OCR racer, it, pace doesn't matter at threshold. So that doesn't matter as much. And the, the, the easy, the second round of testing is to go run a 10K. Your okay. average heart rate for a 10K is going to be pretty close to your lactate threshold. For an all out racing 10K. Yeah. Most people are running a 10K slower than 40 minutes. The general population of runner is 40 minute or slower, which puts you into your 40 to 60 minute that you can keep at lactate threshold. So the easiest possible way, run a 10K and test that. And if you're not sure if you really hit all out effort, just take the average heart rate of the second half of your race. Well, I believe there was a test that you subscribed to, or at least um, we had con uh, yeah. conversed about, which is the 30 minute test. Yep. And that is where you go all out and for 30 minutes, run as much distance as possible in 30 minutes, but then you only take your heart rate average from the last 20 minutes. Correct. The first 10 minutes is a ramp up period. And then we kind of find out where that threshold is. So that's another test I know I've, I've heard thrown around. And I use that test for the more of the weekend warrior, every man, every woman style athlete for people who can hurt themselves and be comfortable with that. You got to take your heart rate average the whole time. Mm -hmm. Take yourself, for example, if you had to push for 30 minutes all out, what are the odds that that heart rate you averaged the last 20, you could sustain in a race for an hour? Not likely. Not likely at all, because you are someone who can get yourself to a bad place early and empty the tank totally. So we would probably for you, it might even be better to do 35 minutes and take the heart rate the whole time. But yeah, mm -hmm. a 30 minute time trial and you take your average heart rate either of the entire time if you know you're a gamer or uh, the last 20 minutes if you know that you don't perform super well without competition around you. Yeah, okay. So whether, okay, and what do you think about, just a quick two cents on what do you think of the watch technology? Um, you know, I'm pairing my Garmin with uh, an external heart rate monitor. So the wrist-based, as we say, is complete garbage. I don't, any athlete yes. of mine that gives me wrist-based data, I don't even look at. Um, so it's paired with a heart rate monitor and it's monitored your run and somehow it decides this based, do you know the criteria it uses at all? No, and uh, I don't look too much into it. Le Le Garmin has a lactate threshold test, which I think is fun to do, but mm -hmm. really it sources your data continuously. It tracks heart rate variability. It tracks what you're doing over this course of different type runs in the zones that it's giving you during it. It adjusts as you give more data. So the longer you own your heart rate monitor and watch, the closer it gets to the point where now it tells me that my lactate threshold is 168. Okay. And I've always thought 166, 167. Mine said 173. Uh, it's for close years. enough. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think the big question is now, whether I go to a lab, whether I run a 10K or whether I do a solo time trial or use my Garmin to test it, I now have this number. What does that mean? Because the question I got this week from an athlete was, my number is 168. So if I have a 10 mile tempo, do I have to go hit 168 the whole time? 
uh, what, yeah, what do you do with that number and how do you apply it to your training? And why is it important? Right. Right. All of those things. Well, I will give you a brief example. So, uh, and then I'll let you go into what you want to go into, but I did a 10 mile tempo run on Wednesday last week, tempo, not threshold. Okay. Necessarily. I went off of my watch's number, which says my te- my threshold is 173, and I'm using it as close enough. So what did I do? I went for my 10-mile tempo, and I went and sat in the mid-160s, knowing I wanted to run 550 pace, roughly 555 pace for 10 miles. And I didn't allow myself to even breach or come close to my lactate threshold until towards the end when I just felt like, okay, I can just empty my tank a little more. But I, I chose to sit more comfortably based on what my heart rate data was telling me what happened. I was 40 minutes into that tempo and I still was like, yeah, if I need to go, I can go. I have choices here still to make. And that mm-hmm. is I have gears to use because I'm sitting sub threshold. Right. And so for example, I chose to do that for an hour and the, I kept my eye on my watch, keeping me about five or more beats below threshold until I felt like just letting loose a little bit. And what did that do? It helped me gauge my effort, helped me not go out too hard and die home. And it actually made it an enjoyable hour. So for example, that would be one way that I just recently used my threshold. I like that. And you asked, why do we do it? What's the purpose? Mm -hmm. The research has shown that there are several ways to improve your ability to be faster at your threshold heart rate, because that's the ultimate goal, right? It's not that you can raise your threshold much higher. It's that you can be much faster at that heart rate. So now you're doing the same effort, but you're faster doing it. And volume helps actually. Spending time in zone two is one of the most beneficial ways to improve your lactate threshold because you raise your aerobic threshold higher, which we're going to worry about that later. But it basically, your aerobic threshold is as fast as you can move while still deriving your energy primarily from aerobic pathways, from oxygen. Yeah. When we still talk about like real world application and why it's important to, you know, with purpose work our threshold like if we're going to see more of like a direct cause and effect like what is the effect yeah of working threshold so science has shown research has shown that if you work at right near that let's say for you 173 the closer you get to 173 the more your body gets practice at buffering lactic acid mm-hmm. lactate acid is used and utilized as fuel And like anything else in our body, the more we do it, the better we get at it. So you just get more efficient at that buffering process, at lactate removal. The the more you you walk the line and the more often you walk the line, which would be that proverbial line between going over your lactate threshold and not, the longer you're able to do it, the more you practice it, right? Your body, those pathways become more efficient. That's exactly the right descriptive. With that, they have found that all your bang for your buck comes in that few percentage below and up to lactate threshold. That once you cross over, you're not getting this huge extra return. And so the purpose of the heart rate is you get a bit of a zone. For you, it's probably like 166, 168 to 173 where you sit in that zone and whether you're at 66 or 72, you're still getting that 90 to 95% of the benefits without any of the associated drawbacks, which is bigger recovery time after crossing the line. Mm -hmm. So what you do with it is you take your lactate threshold, let's say 173, you can go for a 20 to 30 minute run. That's the generally accepted straight duration at lactate threshold. So if if you were to to get the the most output out of that workout, you would, if you were me, you would try to get your heart rate up to roughly 173 and just freaking hover right there. And not cross. Stay 70 to 73 for 20 to 30 minutes. Boom. Or you can split it up into intervals. You can decrease that stress of each one, and then you can work at closer to that 173, maybe 175 by the end of the rep, but then you take rest in between. And with interval work, the accepted range is, is more like 30 to 40 minutes of work. And, and we can explain that by, let's look at 5K. Let's say you're going to do 5K work. You can identify 5K pace just like you can identify lactate threshold heart rate. So 5K pace, how long could you run at 5K pace in practice as a training run? If you're super badass for 5K distance, Bracken. Right. But probably too much. As a repeatable workout? As a repeatable workout? Like, oh, like you're, okay, gotcha. Mile Um, and a half. Mile, mile and a half, yeah. Mile, mile and a half. 
And so that's what a that's what that 20 to 30 minute steady run at lactate threshold will be. You're moving up to about half of the time you could keep it at, but there's really no sense pushing longer than that. But if you did interval style, could you do three, four, five miles worth of 5K paced intervals if you took rest in between? Yes. Yeah. And so that's the same thing with threshold intervals or a threshold run. Is a 20 to 30 minute threshold run also a tempo run? Yes. Sure. Yes. Is yeah. a 20 to 30 minute tempo run necessarily at threshold heart rate? Maybe if you get lucky, but no. Correct. So that that's where we get into that murky area. I'm going to do a 20 minute tempo. Great. What are you running that at? I'm running it at 10K or I'm running it at threshold or I'm running it at marathon pace. It all is dependent on what you choose. But if you say I'm doing a threshold run, that means you're targeting the heart rate that mm -hmm. is right around th your lactate threshold. Well, let's dive into that a little more then. Um, as far as threshold intervals go. Yes. So uh, how do you approach that? And why would threshold intervals be maybe as effective as just a straight up threshold run? Because in theory, you'd be like, well, I'm getting breaks. So it's not as demanding, which wouldn't create as much physiological adaptation. Pick some holes. Pick, uh, so how does that, how do we look at that? Well, we look at is that your, your actual lactate shuttling system is getting rep work. So let's say instead of doing a 20 to 30 minute tempo run at threshold heart rate, we're gonna extend that duration to 40 minutes, but now you get a break every two minutes and you're gonna rest for 40 seconds. So you creep up to that line, you might even cross it a little bit, and then you shut down and let your body relax, get itself under control, clear out lactate again, and then start again. And so it gets to, it gets to experience that high lactate accumulation but not the associated crash afterwards over and over and over and over and over. It's just mm -hmm. like doing, um, doing speed work. If you're doing mile pace speed work to get better at a mile, you don't hold it for as long as you can hold it and then be done. You hold it for just up into the point where it would start to not be sustainable and you stop and you rest and then you do it again and you stop and rest and you do it again. It's the same principle of that. It would be, um, you know, a good way to approach, like, let's say you were deconditioned by, you know, competitive standards anyways, and you were getting back into things and didn't want to hate your life while doing it, threshold intervals might be a good way to do it. Like even if it's not off of distance or duration, you're literally just looking at your heart rate monitor and you're ramping up your speed. And then from minutes two to three, you sit right at threshold and then you shut it down. Let the heart rate come back down to 130, start again, ramp up the first minute, sit there for a minute or two, shut it down. Like yeah. physiological benefit from that is actually very astounding. And it's not going out and grinding for 40 minutes if you're not sure like cerebrally or, you know, physiologically you can hold that yet. It's a good way to work that system without the traditional, I'm going to do six by 800 or I'm going to do quarter mile repeats. You can simply go off of that and that can Absolutely. be an effective tool as well. Yeah. Which we don't, we don't prescribe a ton, I think, because it can get a little complicated. I do it a lot. You do? I don't, but it's effective. I bring a lot of my athletes out of base period with threshold intervals. We'll start at... 20 to 30 by 400 at one hour race pace. Yeah. Because could you go out and do a good 30 minute tempo right away coming off base? Maybe, maybe not, but hip flexors even by the end of that are really going to be depleted and worked where if you get to rest every 75 to 90 seconds, it's really hard to do damage, but systemically inside of you, you're getting all the benefit without the associated breakdown. So I really like them. And you're working biomechanical efficiency by running faster pacing than maybe you would if you went out and did a straight tempo too, which you could argue is also beneficial. Correct. I want to go into two specific avenues. Like I look at like lactate threshold is like the, you know, that's sort of the line, right? That everything revolves around in our sport. It really does. Yes. Our lactate threshold as an endurance athlete is sort of like the, the, uh, the gold standard of basing how our efforts are gauged. So where let's just use me as the example because we've been throwing around 173 beats a minute and i think a lot of people fall somewhere between 165 and 175 i would guess mm -hmm. in the lactate threshold world Wh where do you start seeing the benefit of that like how far below your lactate threshold do you like how low can you sit let's say let's say i want to be as lazy as possible but still get the maximum amount of benefit right do you know the answer i don't know the answer to this so i'm posing it to you this is where things are murky because it's really hard to get a longitudinal study on this. Hmm. Because if you wanted to test that, you would have to get people who are already in shape 
and test them with a block of training doing both styles, sitting at 95% of it, sitting at 100% of it, sitting at 88% of it, and seeing what the difference is. The people that they can get to do these studies are generally not already highly trained athletes. And if they are, they can't take 24 weeks to stay right. with them because they have a schedule. So there is a range to it. And, and, and so I will not give specifics, but I will say that if you can stay within five to 8% of your lactate threshold heart rate below it or up to it, you are totally safe. Mm -hmm. There are people who will say, if you stay within 88% of your lactate threshold, but you start to get into that, it's, it's difficult to say that you're not gray zoning it. But let's say for you, 173, I would say 66 or 68 to 73, 166 to 173 is a great range for you. Now, I'd say we are more in touch with our bodies than all humans. I mean, we've been endurance training for a long time. We've also been nerding out on these, these subjects for a long time. I can tell you, right, my number is 166. 165 doesn't cut it. 164 certainly doesn't cut it. 166 gets me there. And if I wanted to go get good work done, but I was maybe having an off day, Mm-hmm. 166 for me that's seven beats below um so i think like a five to seven beat window is just from feel but how i feel doing things and what what effort it gives me but i have no scientific basis for that whatsoever so you're ready for an analogy oh yes wait is this the one we talked about yeah this is not my garbage carbon monoxide analogy this is one of my favorite analogies this is a good one go for it bracket so you ask what is that range and a lot of people say all right my number is 173 does that mean 172 doesn't cut it? 174 is wasted effort. And what happens if in a race I go over 173? Am I instantly, I have now 15 to 20 minutes left, depending on how far I am into the race, and then I explode even if I back down? Or can I keep backing over, backing back, over, back? And so here's my end-all, be-all analogy to give you everything you ever need to know about understanding threshold. This is the winter door scenario, Kirk. It is negative 50 degrees Fahrenheit outside your house and someone left your door open. Oh no. Okay. Inside your house, you have it heated to a toasty 72 degrees. You sitting in your den, in your family room, watching TV. Can you feel that the door is open? No. No, you can't. And that is aerobic work. The door's open. There's some cold coming in. You can't really tell because it's so far away and it's so warm inside the house that it's totally eradicating that cold. It doesn't even reach you. That's aerobic work. Now you stand up and you walk to the fridge to grab something. You notice a little bit of a draft. Could you stand by that fridge? Let's say you're 30 feet from the door. Could you stand there all day long? What am I wearing? Nothing. Yeah, I could, I could do it. You could stand there all day long. Would it be a little uncomfortable, more uncomfortable than sitting on the couch wearing nothing? Yes. Yeah. Cause you can tell there's a draft coming through, but you're fine. Now you start walking towards that open door. At some point, you're going to reach a point where if I get any colder, I could probably only survive for about, I don't know, 20 more minutes, 40 more, 60 more minutes, and then I'm going to die because it's far too cold. It doesn't matter how hard I try or how much I take in extra calories or whatever, I can only withstand this cold for so much. But where is that point? Mm -hmm. It's definitely outside. What about right in the doorway? It's negative 50. You got the heater on one side, the cold on the outside. Is it right there? Is it one step in the house? Is it one step outside? Is it 20 steps out? It's a continuum, right? The closer Mm -hmm. you get to the door, the less time you can stay there until you're just too cold and you've got to come back inside. Mm -hmm. 10 steps from the door, it's definitely cold, but you could probably stay there for an hour and a half if you had to. Might have to jog around a little bit to stay warm, but you could. Five steps from the door, you know, like I'm not in imminent danger of death, but I am absolutely freezing right now. But mm-hmm. as soon as you're right up to that door threshold, that's your lactate threshold where you know, okay, there's only so long I can stay here before death occurs. And if I bust through the door and run outside, I'm absolutely on borrowed time. Mm-hmm. So that's level one of this little exercise is understanding that it's not like you open the door and jump through, that's lactate over there and you shut the door. I'm safe. Nothing can hurt me. It's a continuum. You, as The closer you get down the hallway, the more cold you are and the less you can handle it for a long, for a long amount of time. I like that example. I like that analogy. Threshold is an open door on a cold winter day. Yes. How long? And you're nude. 
and you're and you're nude. I will say that's kind of another morbid example. Then you're talking about death again, Bracken. I think when you're racing, the fear of death is what keeps you from making terrible decisions. <laughs> it does feel that way sometimes. But the next big question then is, all right, I went outside, I rolled around in the snow, negative 50. If I run back inside the house, am I still dead? And the answer is no, but you're cold. And each time you run back out there, you're probably going to be able to spend less and less time out there. So in a race, yeah, you can sprint out into the cold and roll around naked in the snow a little bit. But you know, I can only spend a few minutes before I get back inside. And each time I do it, I'm going to have to spend more and more time inside the house in order to go back outside the house again. And eventually, it's just not smart to even go back out again. And that's exactly how it is to cross the lactate threshold. If you cross over, it's not like your ship has sailed and you're gone as long as you come back inside. But once you go out and stay out, your hourglass, that sand, starts dropping and dropping and dropping and dropping. And so you have to stay back in order to get some sand to go back into there. And each time it takes longer and longer to warm up. Listen, it's not smart to go outside naked no matter what the temperature is, Bracken. It's not. It's not. Okay. In this scenario, we own acreage up somewhere and there's no one else around. (laughs) That analogy sticks. I get it. Too bad it's not winter and people could go test this theory in real, like real application. Be like, oh, I get it now. I am freezing standing in my doorway naked. I get it. So the third part of this is how do you train that then? Can you get better at standing near the door if you do it every single day? Absolutely. Yeah. You become more tolerant of that cold by standing there. Now is the best way to train it to go run out and jump in the snow every single day and see how long you can stay in the snow and then come back inside? Maybe. Maybe if you have a snow sitting competition in three weeks, you better get out in that snow every day. But if your goal is just to become the best outdoors survivalist possible, no, you'd spend time in that zone of how close can I get to the edge without harming myself, but where I can stay there a little longer each time and get a little better at standing. And maybe I'm standing 10 feet from the door in week one. And by week two, I'm five feet from the door. And then by week three, I can stand at this door pretty well. And I'm going to spend more time at that door. Mm-hmm. That's how that, that cold accl- acclimation is the same as lactate acclimation. Hey, you can, any of you who've taken, um, taken ice baths before know that your first one after a long time away is the worst 15 minutes of your life. And every subsequent ice bath after that gets slightly more tolerable and better to the point where you don't dread them anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's half of it, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's getting, it's used to knowing that the slap in the face is coming. The slap mm-hmm. hurts less when you're used to the slap. When, yeah, when you, when you already know what it's going to feel like, cause you felt it so many times before. And then that equates to the whole, you know, mental side of things as well. Then having the mental fortitude to sit in it, cause it's not a comfortable place to be in that doorway. It is nope. not but then choosing to stay there and freeze. Not only do you get better at standing there with your nether regions getting frozen off, but eventually they might not be in as much danger of being frozen off because you've built up tolerance to it. So when you think about it, understand it's not a precise science. Standing five feet from the door and two feet from the door, you're still experiencing cold. You're still teaching your body to handle it better. It's still affecting you, but one of them allows you to stand there longer. And that's how lactate threshold training works. The closer you are to your threshold, the more you need to break it up into intervals or the shorter duration you can stay there. The farther away from it you are, the more you can stand in it and the longer you can do until at some point, you're just not even close enough to the cold to be worth standing there. And that's where we talk about polarized training in gray zone. If you're standing in the kitchen, you might as well be on your couch. Because standing Mm -hmm. in the kitchen, you just look like an idiot standing there naked and you're not doing anything, but you're also not getting better at handling cold. You're just spending time there for the sake of standing naked in your kitchen. If you're going to stand naked, you get by the fireplace in the living room. Either go by the door and feel some cold or get warm and don't even bother shivering a little bit or having goosebumps in the kitchen. Like we want to be by the door or totally warm in the house. That gray zone doesn't help anyone. You're losing energy, your heat bill's rising, but you're not getting any benefit from it in return. So that's the definition of gray zone training, standing naked in the kitchen with the door open. (laughs) I think you brought this full circle for us. There we are. I think we completed the... <laughs> Take it and run, Kirk. And that's... I'm really... Uh, don't stand in your kitchen naked. Guess yeah. we go with that. Fridge magnet. 
<laughs> Fridge magnet. That'll be the next uh, running public T-shirt. <laughs> be a silhouette. <laughs> you never know. Um, I wanted to talk about uh, the okay. We have surpassed our lactate threshold situation. Like we are at or working past our. Like we're talking about a lot of what we're talking about is like staying underneath or just getting to it. This whole analogy led up to that, but it did talk about running around outside and rolling in the snow. Yeah. Um, and then staying there, for example. So what happens like physiologically when we are over for a period of time? Like what happens to our body? We understand that we can't buffer lactate anymore, which means it accumulates in our bloodstream, which then doesn't allow our muscles to be oxygenated and fueled the way they need to be. And thus we start coming back. The old piano on our back feeling, right? Mm-hmm. For example, you are saturated with lactate and it is game over, Right. Yes. Until you stop putting so damn much in there. So what happens? Is there any more to describe after you surpass your lactate threshold and sit there for a while? And why would you? What's the benefit of it then? If we're talking about how beneficial lactate threshold training is, what's the benefit of going over it and staying over it? Well, because there's a very big skill component to running, which just like lifting heavy, running heavy makes running lighter easier. So when you're running true speed intervals, you're working on efficiency, you're running economy, you're working on getting your ground contact time uh, lower or um, less lessening your ground contact time. There's the whole skill and efficiency component to running. But then there's also the idea that race pace matters. So mm-hmm. we, I love talking about the Ingebrigtsens. They are all in on lactate threshold training. They double up on lactate thresholds a couple times per week with interval style and well, mostly interval style. But when they get closer to a race, they translate to speed work. Now, they always keep in 200 meter uphill repetitions in their training to keep in um, to keep their stride right, to keep their high end speed and that capacity there. But when they get closer to their race, they translate to race specific work. And so, I mean, we like car analogies, right? Doing all of this lactate threshold work is building up your engine to be as fuel efficient and as large as possible. But at some point, you have to address all the other pieces of the car, the tires, the suspension, the handling, the braking. And that comes from race specific work and fine tuning it so that not only can your engine handle it, your whole body can handle the demands of the course. So you do need to go faster than that. But it's been proven that a large chunk of your training can happen in terms of that 20, the quality 20 we talk about, a large, large percentage. You could get by doing nothing but lactate threshold work and then some skill speed work, even if it was just strides or short sprints from time to time. You could do that. So you think that the physiological adaptation from working over your lactate threshold from an oxygen transport point of view is very minute? I'd say it's diminishing returns. Diminishing returns. Yeah. That's how you describe and it. And there is skyrocketing rate of recovery after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and as you talked about, though, and we don't need to go into it because we've talked about this before in other episodes, but you have things like, obviously, you're going to get more uh, muscle fiber recruitment running at higher paces, yes. more biomechanical f- efficiency, more resistance to impact at higher paces because your return force on the ground, you're going to get more uh, power to develop in those muscles that are firing, which again, translate to run economy. So there, it's not like it's a waste of time. It's a very good use of your time. But when we're talking about our sport, and I mean, how many times have we said it? Like if I had to pick one thing, our sport is threshold running and managing that door, so to speak. Yes. So like if you were to pick one, there's only one answer to that. And that is work your threshold uh, as much as possible. Yeah. And I think there's two questions you have to answer. The first is what is your percentage of training? Is it 80, 20? Is it 70, 30? Is it 90, 10? The smaller that quality percentage gets at 90, 10, you're going to have to be faster than threshold work for most of it because you don't get much of it. So you better utilize every second you got. But the bigger your chunk gets, the more I would fill it with threshold work because it's the least dangerous and it's the most sustainable style of quality work you can do. And mm-hmm. then the second question is, what is my intended race? If my intended race is the 1500 meters on the track or a one mile road race on 4th of July, like I'm going to run this year. It's not my, my focus of my year, but if it were, one mile road race is very far away from lactate threshold. Mm-hmm. It's not very specific for me. So in that case, it could take up the chunk of my off season and preseason 
And then I'd have to sharpen down and get faster so that I could meet the demands of my race. If I were preparing for a half marathon, a 10K, Spartan race, any, any sort of race that is between 30 minutes and three hours, now lactate threshold is pretty darn near your intended race pace. Maybe not the three hour, but even up to marathon pace, lactate threshold's not too far away from marathon pace. So the closer that that heart rate gets you to race day, the more it is a race specific tool. And that dictates how much time you want to spend there as your race gets closer. Now, do you know much about any sort of theory on, well, if working at your lactate threshold is is good for training your body to buffer lactic acid or lactic acid lactate, wouldn't working above it make your body even better at buffering lactate? What is the, uh, is there any studies out there and what are the conclusions? Do you know? Yeah. So once you cross it, you start throwing, you, you, you use that example of your bucket with a hole in the bottom. Yeah. Once you start just dumping water into that bucket, you're not actually getting a chance to improve the pathways. You're just overwhelming the system. And that's why little doses of it, getting it just like towing the edge is the most efficient way to increase the efficiency of your system. When you start doing huge doses, like uh, mile pace work, 3K pace work, that really fast stuff, VO2 max pace or faster, you're just dumping it on there and you're not actually working on the buffering at all. You're working on tolerating it more and Mm -hmm. being able to mentally and physically sit in it better. But it doesn't translate. There's a huge loss of return on investment once you go over in terms of the the actual usage of lactate, the buffering Mm. process. Right. So then the over lactate threshold training is all for those ancillary pieces of our fitness. Ancillary or race specific races that are way under 30 minutes in duration. Makes sense. Um, What are some of your favorite threshold workouts? If we're just going to throw a few out there for people, do you have any styles that you, that you like to use or you could just give as um, takeaways? I love cruise intervals, which are the same as uh, threshold intervals where you take anywhere from a hundred to 105% of your lactate threshold heart rate and you run intervals at that. So they feel very comfortably hard and positive feeling for the vast majority of the workout. And the challenge then is building up a high volume of that. This is where that 120% rule comes in. It doesn't come in through intensity. It comes in through volume. So I like to start at 20 to 30 by 400 in the off season and then lengthen my intervals and lengthen and lengthen. And you can run three by 5k (laughs) at threshold by the end of it. If you're running them at, at 18 minutes, 17 minutes, 20 minutes, you can accumulate a lot of time. Now, maybe a 20 minute 5k runner can't do three by 5k, but they could do three by 3k, three by two mile at thresholds, a fantastic workout. So I really like that. And then of course, fart licks where you're crossing in and out, in and out, the song run, mm-hmm. run and threshold, over threshold, under threshold, over, under. And that's another good way of balancing it out. Well, my question specifically with like, let's say 20 to 30 by 400 meters is I'm assuming jog recovery or a short yeah. recovery. Short jog. But how do you know when to start and stop? Like in a 400 meter, I got to work pretty hard to even reach my lactate threshold by the time my, the interval is completed. Mm-hmm. So that could be nearly an all out effort for me, for example to even get to 173 by the time, oh, it's done now. Mm -hmm. So how do you address that? Well, you kind of don't because that 20 by 400 at threshold is not a speed workout. You're not even going to hit that heart rate. You might never hit it in that workout, but that workout prepares you to run eight by mile a few weeks later. I use it as that's my return to quality work, something like that. Whereas you might run 20 by 400 at, at 5K or 10K, as a true get your heart rate up and work hard, that 20 to 30 by 400 at threshold is a is a building block workout so that I can handle stuff later. But how do you determine what speed or what your heart rate should be for those? Like, how do you know where to start? If you're just like, okay, I wanna try this. I wanna do 20 to 30. Like, how do you know, what are we watching? This is where it's not an exact science. You could do it. Now, if you're gonna do it by blood, if you're taking finger pricks, or if you're doing a heart rate, you gotta run an interval long enough to get it up, in which case, I like to use thousands, 800s or thousands for cruise intervals. So you can get your heart rate up, monitor it, and then just step off for 30 to 45 seconds and do it again. But for that, if I do it underneath that, then I'm targeting pace. 
So I'll say 15K race pace for 30 by 400. And if you don't know what your 9.3 mile race pace is, then you guesstimate based off a 10K or a 5K. Okay. So you're using pacing. Correct. For that. For the okay. short intervals, I use pacing. And for the longer ones, I use heart rate. I was just thinking like that could be a little confusing. It certainly could. And I'm glad we clarified that a bit. If I'm running less than two minutes, I'm doing it at a specific pace. And if I'm going longer, then I can have time to get the heart rate up and then I can settle into heart rate based rather than perceived effort or pace based. Okay. Got it. That makes sense. The only way I'm really using threshold for me is have a rough idea where my threshold is right now. And then, um, almost disregarding it on a lot of my speed intervals, but then paying close attention to it um, on any, what I still call tempo days, um, but yes. uh, keeping an eye on it with purpose. So what's your favorite tempo run? My favorite tempo run? Yeah. Um, I mean, I see the largest return on investment in straight up steady effort. You know, I did six mile tempo a bit back and then I did an eight mile tempo and then I just did a 10 mile tempo. Um, and what I say is it's like a, for me, how long could I have gone at the pacing that I ran it on Wednesday? Um, I don't know. I think a long time, which is very comforting, but I always want to be able to go further than like, once I stop, it's a, it's an effort in which I could continue for another couple miles if I had to without, with choice, so to speak. So, but I'm going to say steady, my tempo effort, my favorite tempo efforts are steady. And then, and then the other, other ones I like to do would be alternating efforts. Um, where it's just simple. It's your alternating miles and mile one might be, uh, you know, exactly seven minute pace on the head. And then mile two is exactly 530 and going back into what I call like a tempo style where I'm, I'm just trying to hit two different markers and undulating back and forth, and never fully letting off the throttle. So yes, my heart rate is dropping in that seven minute mile. And then I'm coming back up. I'm probably reaching and breaching threshold at the end of that mile. And then I back it right back down again. It's kind of in and out threshold work. Um, but I'm not letting myself recover too much uh, yeah. by going too slowly in between. So um, that'd be another way I would say. What about my you? other two favorite workouts to do? I love doing my compromised running at threshold. I think it's the best bang for the buck that I found for myself. Uh, KDE, for example, two minutes of sled work or heavy carry or drag or burpee broad jump or walking lunges or assault bike, two minutes of good steady work and then running five minutes at threshold heart rate. And what it allows you to do is get the physiological benefits of lactate buffering in your body going because you're running it at that heart rate, but you get to see you bring in your pace up closer to what your actual lactate threshold pace is over time as you get better at compromised running. Mm -hmm. So let's say that you 173, 550 pace, right? Mm -hmm. Now you do two minutes of running or of work before that. And now 173 might be 620 pace. Mm -hmm. And a couple of weeks later, it's 610 and 605. And eventually you have 558. Now you're within eight seconds while compromised of what your standard lactate threshold pace is. Not only then if are you better at that, but if you retested your lactate threshold in a test, your pace would now have dropped as well mm -hmm. because you've become more efficient at running through fatigue. So I really like doing threshold compromised run workout. And then I don't like it, but real efficient and less damaging on the body, that 20 to 30 minutes or cruise intervals uphill on a treadmill or on a long, steady hill. Uphill mm -hmm. threshold work is, is really golden, in my opinion. I love that. Two minutes of work and a threshold effort run. Man, something about that just gets your body primed to buffer lactate. And it, it's so good a week or two out from a race. Hobie Tempo would be another one where you're really, it's a really extended effort, but it would do the same yeah. in a sense, maybe a little sub threshold, I suppose that'd be a tough one to keep. But um, anything else we want to dive into with like tempo, we just touched on it, but we got our points across there really, right? Yeah. Uh, if everyone leaves this knowing that lactate threshold is a number and tempo is a column header for a type of workout, mm -hmm. that, 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 that right there is enough. So then you can look at a tempo and say, all that tells me is that I'm choosing a duration and an intensity, where if I see threshold, I know I'm targeting that heart rate range that I can keep for 40 to 60 minutes gun to my head. If you're randomly going out and running hard with no attention to heart rate data or any other data, it, you're tempoing. You're always tempoing, tempoing unless you're paying attention to physiological markers. And yep. uh, it's very cut and dry that way, isn't it? Yeah. 
Yeah, and tempos are the most powerful and most destructive workout. And the only difference between that is intent. If you head out to tempo with intent and you have your duration and intensity scripted, you know where it fits in your schedule. And if you're just going out and runs turn into tempo runs randomly with no with no real plan, then those runs, the recovery seeps into the rest of your week and now it's destructive. Mm-hmm. Unless you readjust the days following. Correct. So to speak, yeah. Uh, anything else you want the people to know about lactate threshold and tempo in and all that fun stuff, Bracken? I'm comfortable here. We will get questions off this and then we'll have to hit maybe a, a threshold themed portion of our next Q&A. But I think that right now this is the a good base level of knowledge that every runner, if this is all you have, this is enough to, to make sure that you have a good grasp of it. Yeah. I, I think there's just going to be a lot of people listening that are going to want to try to play around with this and rightfully so, because it's a very smart way, effective way to train. And so I foresee more questions than not following this one up when and how and how often and all of that. It's, it's, it's tricky, but just keep thinking of that open door in winter. If you mm-hmm. want to stand closer to the door, you do it for a shorter amount of time because you're going to get really cold. And if you want to do a longer version run, you just don't stand quite as close to the door. But you got to make sure you're always in range of the door or you're way away from it. And never stand in the kitchen naked. Yeah. Keep that in mind. We're not in our kitchen naked. All right. I think that's a good closer. What do you think, Bracken? Yeah, I'm going to go prep Lisa for surgery. How are you going to prep Lisa for surgery? <laughs> got to shave her stomach. <laughs> do you guys actually have to do that? No. <laughs> she doesn't have a, she doesn't have like a full pelt on her stomach. She's fine. <laughs> okay, that's good. That's a really <laughs> loving husband. And for those of you who have not purchased your shirts yet, go order them quick because otherwise they're going to be gone. Good luck with surgery, Lisa. Thanks, Bracken. Good luck with tempo. <laughs> good luck with threshold. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> Thank you.